Well, hey, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And as I often do, here's a little preview of what is coming up later in the show. For our inbox, we have a listener who was planning to move out with some friends, but then they ended up finding another place without her. So she's kind of miffed. And counselor Linda Miller is going to weigh in on how she can deal with that. And then for our culture segment, author and counselor Tim Sanford is here to give pointers on how to deal with toxic family members around the holidays. So not an easy thing to navigate, but he is going to give you some great wisdom. Well, here we are for our roundtable and uh, another fun conversation that I kind of started having with the team a couple weeks ago. And I was like, oh, we got to talk about this because it really is so applicable, especially now as you might be spending some time with family or friends over the holiday. We're going to talk about When relationships feel shallow, so kind of like you just maybe are trying to go deeper in conversation or in relationship with people and you just can't seem to get there and it's frustrating and you're like, do I just bail on these people or what do I do? Um, Especially if they're like family, (laughs) they're people you can't really just shake, you know, Uh, you choose your friends, but not always. So, uh, so fortunately, we have got Janelle, Sterling and John here to be part of this conversation. Welcome, everyone. Hey, Hey, Lisa. Very good to have you. Okay, let's start out by just kind of like setting the stage here. Are you all generally like a few friend people or lots of friends? Or how do you kind of move in and out of friend circles as far as like, you know, assessing in your head? Okay, do I go deep with some people? Maybe not as deep with others. But what does that look like for you? If you were to look at my Facebook profile, it says I have over a thousand friends. (laughs) Um, If I'm perfectly honest, though, I don't remember how I met every single one that I'm currently connected with. But I have, I would say, a number of acquaintances. And part of that's because I've lived in two different states. And so I have kind of that core group of friends that I can be a little bit more open and personal with. So I I think I'm probably a mixture of both. Okay. As I've said before, I'm a a big extrovert, but not for crowds. Mm. Uh, I need to spend time with my core group, but it is a pretty small uh, group. I have closer friends and not as close friends, but the people I like to spend time with the most is probably a little over a dozen people. Okay. I'm in the same boat as John. I like having a mix of both. So I like having the core friends who know me to a deeper level, can speak into my life uh, more intimately. I also like having the bigger crowd in the sense of I might not personally connect with everyone, but if we're doing an activity or all connecting over something, I like the energy of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I kind of have a, a mix as well of very close friends and then acquaintances. But what's weird, and I think this is why it prompted me to want to have this conversation, is I feel like regardless of the level of like how long I've known someone or even how close I feel to them, I generally feel like I can ask meaningful questions of people. And if they were to ask me something, I can respond. Like, I don't feel like, oh, with you, I just can only be shallow. (laughs) But then I feel like there are some people where I try to get there or I try to ask questions. And it's almost like either they just don't want to go there or they don't even know how to, to like how to have... Mm -hmm real conversations or talk. Okay, like, let's just talk about my extended family here for a second, because I can tell you, and I'm saying this because y'all holiday season, 
not all of them, but there are times when I have talked or I brought up a question that maybe is going to involve like expressing some kind of emotion or a feeling about something. And you would think I just asked someone for like a spreadsheet on something. I mean, it's like I get nothing <laughs> in return. It's like I'm not even sure if they understood the question, you know, or anything about like a personal growth topic or what do you feel about blah, 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 or what's a goal, you know, for the new year. And people are just like blank stares and let's go back to our phones. So I want to ask you guys, what do you feel is a reason for relationships that feel shallow? Like, is it maybe not common interests or do you think there's a lack of spiritual connection there? I mean, do you guys have this where you feel like you've tried to make something work and it just doesn't? And why do you think that is? Yeah, definitely. Um, all, All of my relationships initially usually start out with a shared common interest. Uh, we work at the same place. We go to the same uh, school, college or whatever, um, or we like playing the same games or sports. There's something where we're going, I'm going outside of my house to the, an activity or location where they're going to be at. And I'm going to see them regularly and we're going to enjoy doing what we're doing together. Uh, and that will naturally build up a bond over time. Um as far as how things progress from there, it does come down more to maybe preference and just uh, shared personality, but also spiritual connection. Uh, my spiritual life influences a lot of my personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if I can't have that connection with somebody on faith and worshiping God and, and doing life and seeing uh, a worldview the same way, like that's going to really mute our communication with each other. Mm -hmm. So what, just following up on that, Sterling, what would that look like? Like, would you ever be sitting around like gaming with someone or something like that? And then you're just out of the blue, like, hey, so what do you feel about XYZ issue? Or have you, like, how do you, how do you introduce something where you feel like you're talking about something that's a little more meaningful? Yeah, well, um, let's just go with the the example of playing video games with people because I play video games with uh, good Christian friends that I have and with people who are not Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, it really kind of comes down to the moment if you want to broach a new topic. Uh, but if I don't feel like that moment ever comes to to start talking about that, then that kind of relegates that relationship to a more shallow relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's maybe funky to say, but I am okay with having a certain number of shallow relationships in my life. I don't have the energy or bandwidth or time to make every acquaintance I have a deep, meaningful relationship. And I'm okay with that. That's not an excuse to like not share the gospel or something. But as far as relationships go, people kind of determine with their body language and tone and behavior whether or not they, they want to uh, engage in a deeper relationship with you yeah. a lot of the time. Okay. Uh, Janelle or John, what does that look like for you? And why do you feel, do you feel you have some relationships that might be shallower? And how do you feel about that? Yeah, for me, the spiritual connection is the big one. Mm-hmm. If somebody's not a believer, then it's much harder for me to connect with them. Or it almost feels as if that the conversation can only go to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, when we cross that line into talking about spiritual conversations, I feel as if I'm the one witnessing mm-hmm. or wanting them to come to Christ, which is a wonderful thing. I mean, we're, I mean, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners too. So we have to get out and share our faith with people. 
I guess another thing that even if somebody is a believer, this is more of kind of a pet peeve thing (laughs) that if the conversation is very, very one-sided, if I feel like I'm asking all the questions and the other person talks about themselves the entire time is another thing. Honestly, there have been times if I'm telling on myself though, for lack of connection, maybe I just went into a, an opportunity to hang out with people with too high of expectations. <laughs> that can also create a lack of connection. If I was expecting it to be this really, really fun time, and maybe they had just had a terrible day and they just needed somebody to talk to, and therefore my expectations were dashed. Mm-hmm. That's another time where maybe it can feel as if there's a lack of connection. Interesting. Yeah. I'm relatively in that same boat of I've had to gauge over time and a lot of that has come through trial and error of are there people you know work church friend groups different outings I go to I try to gauge where people are at so I might have a friend who is really good about going in depth and can you know speak to my soul and see the blind spots that I have and be able to pray into that I might decide I want to go on an outing with them and then realize, okay, there's something that's not clicking. Mm. And so I try to compartmentalize a little bit, you know, so this might be the friend that I go to if I really need some good spiritual insight and some prayer. I might have other friends where we enjoy um, a shared activity, but they maybe can't really speak into that spiritual depth. So they might be my friend where if I need something to go do, they're the one that I reach out to. And like I said, I've had to learn that through trial and error where I've had friends where they're spiritually in depth and I try to hang out with them and something's not clicking and I can't figure out what. So I try to push it and it's just not happening. Other people, I try to go to them for spiritual advice or prayer and they just really can't offer that insight. Mm -hmm. And it used to really irritate me until I started doing some internal searching of, well, am I expecting them to bring something that they can't bring, um, whether it's specific to me or just in general, and taking my expectation off of that piece with that relationship and allowing it to be what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to get your insight, all of you, on what I kind of call, because I've thought about this, like why some friendships, and, and obviously it takes time, but why some don't get past a certain point. And I thought to myself and and devised what I call kind of the conflict threshold. So I don't know if you have people in your life, whether it's family or friends or whatever, where you have actually had bona fide conflict with them and or hurt, betrayal, whatever, but you've gotten past it and you've been able to preserve the relationship and you've been able to repent and heal and forgive and all that. I feel like that immediately... Like there's a barrier there that that clears like once you've done that. And there are a lot of people that just will never go there or they can't, which is weird for me because I often say like I'm a huge people pleaser or I'm just like I don't like conflict or whatever. So it's actually not easy for me. But what do you feel like? Do you have relationships where you've done that, where you feel like now you kind of have have cleared that and you can enter into conversations that might be hard or you've set a precedent for being like, yeah, this person can receive hard things and or vice versa. What what has that looked like for you? And has it actually been a blessing in that sense? I would say definitely for me, I I like to use the analogy of a tree. I'm a very visual and metaphorical person. So I think about the parts of a tree, you know, mainly the roots, the branches, and the leaves. So I think about the people who are the roots. You know, are they solid in themselves? Are they a, a good 
foundation of someone to lean on and go through all of the nitty-gritty uh, pieces of life together. There's other people who might be a branch, or maybe they're solid, but I'm not going to lean on them like I would a root. And I have friends who are the leaf. You know, it's it's beautiful, it's a short-lived season, but it's a great season. And then that season is gone, and a new one comes in. And so, again, going back to that compartmentalizing um, idea of looking at testing, is this someone where we can work through this? Is this a strongly rooted person where we can each do our self-reflection and come together and have compromise and resolve it? Or is this something where we're at an impasse and maybe this is a branch or a leaf? And how do I honor that and allow the friendship to be what it is, but also hold those boundaries and let that season of life just be what it is? That's actually what you were talking about with conflict. That's actually mine and my brother Jared's story. So when he was, I guess, about 15 and I was probably 17, we had a season where he had done some things that had offended me, and it was very, very heavy stuff. But I remember I kind of held on to it and just honestly was holding a grudge and bitterness and unforgiveness for several months, so much so that months down the road, I'm going to my mom weeping, saying, this is terrible. This is so hard. Why can't I get along with Jared anymore? But what's funny today is... And then she was like, because you haven't forgiven him. Like, Right. <laughs> she actually yeah. did tell me, true story, our youngest brother, he seemed to get over it much quicker. And she said, yeah, he, he moves on. Oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but what's... Implying am- and you don't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but... But one of the things that's beautiful now is Jared and I did work through that, and the Lord convicted me, hey, you've got to choose forgiveness. And fast forward the clock 10 years later, he's one of my best friends now. Mm -hmm. And I look back on the fact that, yeah, we had some conflict. We had some really tough stuff, but I can see God's redemption in that. And, yeah, honestly, some of my best friends, we've all had conflict at some point. It's whether or not we worked through it that really tested our relationship and determined the the quality of our friendship. Yeah. Obviously, conflict is something that breeds intimacy, like on some level. But I've had lots of relationships where there was some sort of trial or hurt that wasn't... Well, I'll I'll say it this way. It wasn't necessarily interpersonal conflict between me and them. But sometimes it was, uh, now we are in alliance against something else and we have conflict with another thing. Mm-hmm. And that brings us closer together because it's like, oh, we have a common enemy. We have something to commiserate over or fight against or or whatever. But anything like that, uh, whether it's from within or without, I think there's just a few things that will always breed intimacy no matter what. Uh, time, given enough time, you will get to know people better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in- intimacy is just a long hand way of saying, you know, having deep relationship with somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, But time will do that. Conflict or uh, trial or hurt will do that as long as, like you said, you know how to get over it and move past it so that the relationship continues because obviously conflict can end a lot of intimacy. Yeah, It's how you structure it and frame it in your mind and uh, to a large degree how they do in their mind as well. Yeah, Uh, But the closest relationships I have are the ones that have endured the most conflict mm-hmm. and the most trial. And that is what kind of separates my different levels, my different circles of relationships is maybe through correlation rather than causation. Uh, the deeper you go in intimacy into my life, 
the more conflict we've endured with each other or together. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I um, It's funny because as I think of that, I mean, there are definite friendships that I have where I feel like I can be myself. In doing so, I will probably offend someone. <laughs> and then, But then it can be talked out. Just the idea of like, you know, there we all know the people where we feel like we kind of have to be on eggshells or you feel like, well, mm. you know, I can only share a certain amount of myself because I'm not sure how they would handle that or, or whatever. And so it is really freeing when you find those people who you know, one, they're willing to go there. Like some people just won't even show up for whether mm, it's something yeah. you have to confront them on or vice yep. versa, or there's just something you disagree on. And so you just are like, I'm either going to have to ignore this or else just kind of deep six this person. <laughs> I don't know. So it is, yeah. it's hard. But so when you find those people that are willing to say like, yeah, you're more important to me than this issue and let's talk about it and stuff. I think that's so great. Um, so I'd love to know just in our last couple of minutes here, what, when you think of those conversations, those topics where you walk away and you feel like that was really valuable, that was really meaningful. What are y'all talking about? Like, what does that look like for you to just feel like a conversation was great? Um, you maybe made a connection with someone. You feel like it was time well spent. I mean, I think there are some people listening who maybe just need some straight up ideas of like, maybe I need to start introducing this into conversations and feel like we're getting somewhere beyond like latest sports scores or what <laughs> album we downloaded, you know? So I don't know. Give some ideas. Well, every time I have that, I don't know, a little, little high you get from, wow, we, we invested in something and we came out the other side. Without exception, it's always, I, I get the feeling I cared about something and someone more than I cared about how I look and my anxiety about how this would go uh, and my fear of what would happen. Mm -hmm. um, that is the barrier to intimacy in relationships. And the barrier to a lot of things is uh, that wall of fear. Um, but the higher the wall of fear, the more likely the thing on the other side is going to be a valuable, good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you take hold of that and obtain that, you're like, yes, I'm proud that I chose, I made the decision to value this thing more than I valued fear. Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, now I'm starting to look at my friends like I love you more than I love feeling comfortable. And that's like, wow, that mm -hmm. feels so good. Yeah. Well, great. and I think speaking to what you were just saying is I think it's that uh, the balance between pride and compromise. Mm -hmm. You know, is this something where I need to set down my pride, do the self-reflection and hear this person out? And even if I don't maybe agree with what was happening, is it important enough to maintain this friendship to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I hurt you. That wasn't my intent, but that's what happened. And to set aside your version of what happened to better the relationship. And I think that comes in balance with, are there things to compromise? Are there things where I don't feel okay with what happened and I'm going to stand my ground on this? And if it's a true friendship, are we going to move forward? Or is it something where we need to have a little bit of distance where this is an impasse and can I be okay with not having a resolution? Mm -hmm. My uh, friend, Mike, who also uh, is a coworker friend, shout out, Mike, we got to hang out again sometime soon. <laughs> 
but he does this kind of thing exceptionally well. I remember after my mother passed away, he was so good about just reaching out and he was so good about just wanting to get together and check and see, hey, how are you doing? But one of the things that I really got from our conversation is he would ask me really honest questions. Hey, how are things going? How are you doing? Mm -hmm. And he had also lost a parent at a really young age. And so he could really empathize with what I was going through at that time. But he was also just willing to ask the tough questions. But one of the things that I appreciate about conversations with him is they've always felt dynamic. It's always you ask a question, I answer. He asks a question, just back and forth. Yeah. It just it just flows really, really well. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about um, just my conversations with him is it's it really does flow well. And he's willing to listen. He listens with his face, too. Mm-hmm. He does, he'll ask a question. He doesn't look at his phone. I mean, he'll just he'll mm-hmm. look you square in the eye and just say, hey, how's it going? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, as I think of, you know, what are some things that have worked for me, I think like low, like barrier, easy entry stuff is uh, just questions like again and sometimes they can just be like i i often uh, jokingly say i'm like the master of the question games or whatever i just love asking people questions and even now this is kind of a like i said it's low low barrier like preference kind of questions or just things about like you know favorites or or experiences or whatever is just a great start to getting beyond like well what'd you do today or or that kind of stuff um and then when you can go from that into in fact the other night I was at a dinner party with people that I didn't even know. And one of the ladies in the middle of dinner is like, okay, well, let's go around the table and I want to hear everyone's story. And we're just like, whoa, I guess we're going there. Like what, you know, and I guess, I mean, (laughs) one, I'm like looking at my watch, like, okay, what is this a school night? What are we doing here? Um, But it ended up being so great because it was like people could share as much or as little as they wanted. And it just turned out that people decided to just share. So it was like one woman, like both of her parents were alcoholics. And she just talked about how she had, you know, that had affected her and what, how she got into ministry and different things. And so it was just really neat. Like, so that idea of just like, tell me some of your story or tell me some, you know, what, what do you just love or whatever is always great as well. Um, I always like to putting a framework around things of like certain topics, a group of friends and I did this recently and we used a a matrix that I've seen before. And it's kind of like, if you think of your life and you can pick an area, you know, a a section of your life or whatever, it could be your, your physical, your intellectual, your spiritual life, whatever. And you answer in, in one of these quadrants, what's working, what's not working, what's confusing and what's missing. And then you just have someone like, hey, you know, pick one of those and and talk a little bit about that. And so it gives a little framework for something. So those are, you know, again, you have to have people who are willing to go there. But if you give some structure to it and show that you care and kind of to John's point, you look them in the eye and say, I would really love to know and set a precedent for that. I think it puts you off to a great start. So, well, you guys, thank you so much. I think this is helpful. And hopefully we put some legs on stuff for people to think through and and walk through as they try to go deeper uh, in the friendships and the family relationships that they have so thank you all thanks for thank you us. thanks lisa the first day that i took a breath i woke up already blessed been with me ever since been with me every step to the top i overflow with your love i gotta let it show doesn't matter 
Well, everyone, I don't know about you, but I am preparing for both Thanksgiving and Christmas. Thanksgiving here in the U.S. coming up in only a week and Christmas right around the corner. And the best thing about holidays is going home and navigating awkward, and by awkward, I mean slash terrible, sometimes family relationships, Um, whether that's immediate family, extended family, just some of the, the hurts and heartache and just randomness that can happen that you're like, uh, is this actually my family? And so we want to help you navigate that and give you time to prepare. So we have brought in our good friend, Tim Sanford, who is one of the folks who heads up our counseling department here at Focus on the Family. He's a licensed professional counselor, and he is the author of Forgive for Real, Six Steps to Forgiving. You may have heard my interview with him on that book, that topic in particular, on a past Boundless show. And so look that up if you haven't heard that, because great, great insight there. But Tim, welcome back to the show. Good to be here, Lisa. Yes. Okay. So I told you beforehand that I'm going to give you like some actual scenarios. Maybe we're going to talk through like what might be happening around the Thanksgiving table, around the Christmas tree, around whatever as it goes down. And we need your insight uh, in navigating this, especially for those, you know, listening who are Christians and who are like, how do I show up in a loving way with family members when all these same things are going to be triggered? So the first thing I want to ask you is kind of general. Really, what does it look like? I mean, because everyone has in their head what they're going to be going home to. And some people are like, is this relationship ever going to change? What's the use? I mean, should I just kind of try to fly under the radar? What's your opinion on are the holidays even a good time to try to work things out with a family member that I'm not getting along with or try to enter in? So many people, Tim, are like, I don't know. I don't want to be like dishonest with others and with myself. I don't want to shut down. I want to show up with my true self and my whole heart. But is it really even worth it? Or is maybe a holiday scenario? But for some folks, it may be the only time they see their family. What what should their mindset be even going into this? Do they try? Do they not try? You need to tell us. Well, the best advice is if at all possible, and that's my caveat to get out of things, keep holidays and confrontation separate. Mm-hmm. Holidays are supposed to be family-friendly, light, focused on either eating too much or spending too much money or those kind of things. And confrontation is more serious and things. So if at all possible, keep them separate because mm-hmm. generally they don't mix well together. Okay. Okay, so kind of don't make this your kamikaze attempt at solving everything within your family and bringing back stuff from 15 years ago or or whatever. Right, exactly. Because you may be ready for it, but the other family member or the rest of the family may not be, and they'll feel like they were ambushed by you and you ruined the entire holiday for everybody, (laughs) and then goes the drama again and again and again. Okay. So clearly that might be hard for some folks because they might just have reactions around certain family members. There may be history there. There may be stuff that really is, is bad. And so, first of all, help us understand how to really prepare our own hearts for a trip home. Because I think, you know, they do say that you can choose your friends, but not usually your family. And so I think some people just feel like I'm stuck in this boat with people that I don't like. Thank goodness I live in XYZ City where I've curated all my friends and we're more healthy and get along. So what does it look like, Tim, to to kind of prepare yourself for making that trip home and making sure that you're showing up in a 
way that is open-hearted as you're trying to navigate the family scene? Well, let me start, Lisa, with there's a difference between hurt and harm. Mm -hmm. So let me explain that, and that'll help us kind of get a sense of what we're talking about here. Okay. Hurt is the the bummer moments. They bug you. They say something dumb or stupid, you know, And but there's no real or permanent damage. It's just kind of awkward and icky, and you can't wait to get away. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me use the example. I mean, we're right here at the foot of, you know, Pike's Peak. So you start climbing Pike's Peak, you're going to hurt. Mm -hmm. Your legs are going to hurt. Your lungs are going to hurt. But there's no damage, nothing wrong with you. Just they're annoyances. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people just are hurtful. Mm -hmm. There can be sad and tears, but there's no real damage. Okay. Harm now comes in because there is damage. There is potential permanent damage. This is then where we bring in the word toxic. Mm -hmm. And if you look up the dictionary word, toxic means poisonous. Mm -hmm. Poisonous means it can kill you, mm -hmm. whether physically, probably not, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it's not good for you. Mm -hmm. So where I encourage people to start with is sit down and whether you have to go through family member after family member or the family as a whole, is it just hurt or is it really harm? Mm -hmm. Because if it's hurt, I'll handle it one way. If it's harm, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Okay. So give us an example because some people are like going through their list and they're like, well, you know, I don't want to be too judgmental. So I'm not sure if they're actually harmful or whatever. What is something truly toxic and harmful that a young adult might have to look out for with family of origin? Okay, again, think we, we tend to throw it into the word abusive, mm -hmm. um, manipulative, coercive. And those are some of the things that are going to be harmful. Maybe not that exact moment, but you add those time after time after time. And it is going to be detrimental to your mental health, your spiritual health, maybe your emotional health. And so these are things to really think through and go, wait a minute. Is it just that I don't like them or is there really some eh? that's there that leaves that lingering hurt, damage, and things. And again, there's a difference between being judgmental, because that's a bad thing for us Christians, mm -hmm. and just telling the truth. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so part of that is to realize, wait a minute, am I objectively stating the fact about this family member? Mm -hmm. That's not being judgmental. Mm -hmm. Being judgmental is when you look down in a condescending, condemning way that you're better than they are and you want to punish them for the way they act. Yeah. Okay. okay that's not okay. Yeah. So so for the listeners here, slow down. Wait a minute. What's hurt? What's harm? Okay. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to tell the truth mm -hmm. and look at the truth, either at least to myself, about this family member really is this and that. Yeah. One of the things that I also want to bring in is Emotions really mess with our brains when it comes to family because, but their family is supposed to cover a multitude of sins mm -hmm. and disgraces. And so, since I like to use word pictures, if a stranger offered you a cup of eggnog with arsenic in it, would you drink? Hopefully not. Yeah, I mean, hopefully not. Okay. Depends good. on how good the eggnog yeah. is, but let's Good be answer. Honest, yeah. Good answer. Okay. okay. <laughs> but if a family member offers you a mug of eggnog with arsenic in it, would you drink? Yeah, no. But their family, Lisa, right. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just, just sip at it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you see the difference? Yeah. And so this emotionality comes into family, and I'm being sarcastic here, and you know me that, mm -hmm. um, but somehow then the rational and the clear thinking headedness of us just disappears. And that's what we have to really look at hard and fact. 
what are the truths, what are the facts about this family member or my family? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Because I was even thinking back, okay, so pedaling back a little bit to what you were saying before, there's a difference between someone who is just chronically selfish and loves to talk about themselves and not ask anyone else questions or and that's be, a bummer. be insensitive about stuff versus someone who turns a conversation around and says, well, this is why you're impossible to love. Or, and that's a verbal example, but you know, of, yes. a, of abusive- and trying to poke at you, hit you, tear you down, chew you up and spit yeah. you out. Right. That's not Feed you, healthy. serve up lies um, that you're supposed to believe right. about right. yourself and whatever. So, right. okay. And those things over time, that one comment may not destroy you, but that comment after comment after comment can be destructive to your emotional and mental health. Yeah. Okay. So let's just talk about a little bit, um, speaking of family, as you said, yeah. there's there's very much the reality that people are going to be going back to home situations where, you know how we all like play roles in our family of origin. So I'm the youngest. And so you kind of, I, I feel like sometimes I go back to my family and it's like I'm seven years old and I'm supposed to be the youngest and I can't make my own decisions and all of my siblings need to tell me how to live my life and whatever. And of course just, we do, Lisa. It's the same <laughs> thing that happens to me every single time. And I'm like, last time I checked, y'all, I'm a functioning adult. And quite frankly, if I said my opinion, maybe with some more maturity than some of you, you know, bless your hearts, um, siblings of mine. I love you. But anyway, but it might be, you know, that you're the fixer of the family. It might be that you're the grew up or the black sheep or whatever. And so we take on these identities. How do we go into a situation, Tim, with any hope of maybe re-scripting that and being, playing out a different role, actually showing up to family gatherings as an adult and being heard out as an adult? Is there a way that we can help make that happen? And just so that you know, Lisa, and you know, bless your family's heart as, <laughs> as well as all the other callers, this is a very, very common phenomenon. Yeah. And, and the reason behind that is when the family was together last, a lot of times you were younger, um, you were still the baby of the family. Mm-hmm. Well, you still are today. Mm-hmm. Dad is still dad. You know, brother is still the screw up. And so those fa- those family roles just pull us back into that's the way I see you because I grew up with you that way. Mm-hmm. And you were always one making the, you know, the bad grades or you're always making the straight A's. And so we naturally, all the family members just tend to naturally mold back into that the way they go. So if you're the only one in the family doing that, don't be surprised. That's common phenomena for a lot of families. And the other part with that is it's easier just to stay in that family mindset than to realize, wait a minute, Lisa, you've changed. Mm-hmm. You're a grown up. Oh my goodness. And my opinions of you now have to change. How I treat you has to change. That's too much work for the holidays, Lisa. So just be the cute little girl again. <laughs> and you hear that. So all of that. And here's where we talk about family systems, mm-hmm. not just a collection of individuals. Mm-hmm. So like if there's five of you in the family, there's actually six personalities that we're dealing with. Somebody's not crazy or weird, okay, <laughs> but the family itself has a personality. Sure. And the personality wants to keep things the way they've always been because that's how I understand you. And it's easier to understand, well, dad is dad and he's always been that way. And you're Lisa, you're the baby of the family. So I don't have to rethink things. And so Part of this is realizing when you go into that, wait a minute, you're going back on, think of a a drama, think of a play, because sometimes they are dramas at home, okay? So think of a play, you're back on stage, it's been the same play and the same name and the same act for 22 years, 
and you're still wearing the same clothes, so it's still the same script for you. Mm-hmm. Now, may, you have changed, let's say, but if I'm a family member, I don't want you to change because particularly if you're the scapegoat, mm-hmm. that works for us as the family. <laughs> right. Because we can blame you and get away with things, okay? And if you're the baby, we don't have to listen to you because mm-hmm. you're just the baby and you don't know anything. So there's advantages, unhealthy as they are though, okay, mm-hmm. to keeping you in that role. So the best that you can do is be aware that you're going on to the same stage with the same actors in the same clothes, but now you have you know, a dinosaur costume on or something and they're not going to like that. So go into it ahead of time thinking, I am this now. Mm-hmm. I'm not the baby of the family. I'm not this. Here's who I am. They may or may not see it or accept it, but I'll still live as consistently being me as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once in a while I might say something about, you know, hey, I know I'm still the baby, but, you know, babies do grow up, mm-hmm. you know, and be a little bit sarcastic back with it or, or lighthearted. Maybe that's a better term. Sure. And just say, yeah, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be the fixer anymore of the family. You guys are grownups. I'll let you guys do the job yourself. And that'll go, oh, you're not? What? And But see, so you're going to upset the fruit cart. If you do that, mm-hmm. it may be worth it, though. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And I think even the way some family members show up can be, there are patterns there as well. Like if your family tends to address real things or departed things or even conflict with a very passive aggressive tone like you can tell a sibling's trying to tell you to do something but they're trying to make it a joke or they're being passive aggressive or guilting you into that you might have to make that decision of whether or not am I going to show up and address that head on am I going to try to just ignore it I guess it depends on the type of thing being asked or how you feel it's going to affect you and again it goes back to hurt or harm is it just an annoyance yeah. that I can maybe blow off or make a sarcastic or a lighthearted comment back. If it's a harm, here's where, again, harm means it's not safe. Mm-hmm. And we don't like to think of our family as not being safe to be around. Back to, again, emotion skew. It's just family. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Maybe they really are unsafe, unhealthy, and you may need to exit to the other room. You may need to exit the whole party, you may need to drive back home, you may need to not go. Mm -hmm. And that's a decision that you need to make ahead of time and be aware of. So you don't have to think at them on the moment. You've already decided, okay, if this goes bad, here's my plan. Okay. So that's a good point because I do want to ask you about when things go bad. So you've committed, you flew maybe to your grandparents' house, everyone's gathered around the table and something just goes awry. A comment is made. I mean, I'm thinking this is the the family scenario where someone made the mistake of bringing up politics. Uh, Someone addressed something openly that, you know, someone else has done. Someone didn't let go of something. And so that came up and whatever. And things are getting crazy. And it is literally devolving into shouting, um, you know, jabs, (laughs) Whatever people are stomping off, whatever. What and that's do do? when it becomes the holler yeah. days. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So talk about like, and again, we're talking to a young adult who wants to be ready for this on the front end. They love Jesus. They don't want to pour into or contribute to this toxicity. What What are they going to have to do both for themselves? And is there anything they can do for the situation? Generally, unless you're the, 
hero of the family or the main powerhouse in the family, there's not a thing you can do. Okay. And don't try because okay. you'll get put down and that'll make things worse. So based on how toxic, how poisonous it is, okay, you may need to go to the bathroom and hang out a while or volunteer to do the dishes and be out in the kitchen where everybody else is, you know, watching football games or choose to walk the dog, you know, for two or three or four hours. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But get yourself out of the present situation. You may need to actually pack up and leave. Mm. And if you flew in, it may mean, okay, I'll just drive around the city for a while. Or, And here's one of those pieces where I've encouraged people, if you know there's this potential and possibility of things going bad, rent a hotel room rather than stay with mom and dad. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they'll be upset and they'll be put out and they'll be, oh, you don't love us anymore. And that just shows the toxicity that's really there already. Mm-hmm. But that gives you an out where I can go back to my hotel room mm-hmm. if you drove. And another thing I tell people at, at parties or if you live local, don't ride with another family member. Take your own car. Okay. Because that way you can exit if you have to. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And it's just, I'm just thinking as you're talking, Tim, about... Like, this is a great opportunity, y'all, and don't be ashamed to, like, ask for friends where you are to just pray for your trip home and for your situation and be like, this might actually get weird or this might be hard or, you know, hopefully maybe you've even walked through some therapy on your end and you've kind of bolstered uh, that up. You might want to do a session or two before you go home and book one. When you come back, just knowing that you're going to have that net of being able to process that. Um, again, I think there's there's no shame in realizing that you need support in this. Um, and I think that can be really good. Exactly. And if it's possible, let's say it's a collegiate roommate and they don't have anywhere to go. If they want to go home with you, mm-hmm. once in a while, family will be on a little bit better, you know, appearances yeah. and things if there's a stranger in the room or at the dinner table. So if you bring your friend with you um, kind of a thing, sometimes that can be helpful as well as being a support. Sometimes it'll keep the other people behaving a little bit better, too, if your friend's willing to do that. Yeah. Okay. So kind of as we finish out here, Tim, there are in your book, again, Forgive for Real, and we're going to offer that here, uh, you talk about there is very much a real distinction, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, between forgiving someone and what it means to reconcile with them and even restore things to, you know, where they were, restore the relationship. What about this person who's saying, okay, I feel like I've forgiven this family member, and maybe it's something from a past wrong. Maybe it's something that crops up, but it's not nearly as as hurtful as it was or whatever. But the person's like, but I still feel the pain of what they did. We're still not in a right relationship. Maybe they never apologized or they, you know, never really got righted in that sense. What What's your encouragement to them knowing that, you know, feeling like it's a little bit hopeless? Like, is this, you know, I want to, I want to say that my heart's okay, but man, I sure wish that this relationship were different, especially if it's with like a mom or a dad or someone that's really close. And, and I take some time in the book, Lisa, to pair out the different definitions of these words. Mm-hmm. Forgive is mine to do. It's a court of law event. God commands us to forgive. Forgive and being happy and trusting are two different stories. Mm -hmm. Forgive and being reconciled. Reconciliation means to say the same thing. Mm 
So if it was between you and me, Lisa, I would say, you know, you broke my windshield in my car. And you would say, yes, Tim, I broke your windshield in your car. Mm-hmm. If you go, no, I didn't do it. We're never going to be reconciled, mm-hmm. which means we can't restore or fix or make things better, which means I really can't trust you. Mm-hmm. I can forgive you and still you not be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And so often we think of, well, if I don't trust you, don't like you, that means I haven't forgiven you. No, no, no. Wait a minute. You possibly really did forgive that family member. Good for you. It takes longer sometimes to let that healing come about so it doesn't hurt. Yeah. And that's good because I think that when you're talking about the the ploy of family, this is where it often comes back to bite you because they will say, we've got to be good because we're family. So you need to act like this never happened. You need to, you owe me this. You should be doing this. And you're like, "Um, okay, let me give you Tim's book, I guess. Should, should, should. (laughs) Yes. The other part is, okay, if I forgave you, that means everything is Mm honky-dory. No, Mm -hmm. I can forgive and still you not be trustworthy. I don't trust you. I'm not going to. You are still unsafe. You are still toxic, even though I forgave. And so don't fall for that because I for, you know, you have to forgive as a good Christian and like me again. Mm-hmm. No, I do need to forgive you. Yes. I'm not commanded to like you mm-hmm. and I'm not commanded to trust you. Yeah, so true. Great thoughts. Great insight, uh, Tim. Thank you so much for that. Um, Folks, I want to remind you, I was telling you that a lot of what we're talking about are principles from Tim's book, Forgive for Real, Six Steps to Forgiving. If you go to Boundless.org, search for 824 this week's episode, you will see the book cover there and you just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless. We want to send a copy of Tim's book to you. And so, you might need to just get this. I mean, this is going to take you into Christmas. This is going to take you into next year. Um, I would highly recommend you sit down with a trustworthy, trusted friend and go through this book and get some insights and pray about it and really move forward. Because again, you're the only person who for you can move forward. You can't make other people do this alongside you. And so um, make sure that you do that. And again, we will love to send a copy of this book to you. So Tim, thanks again. Thank you.
Well, here we are for the inbox portion of our show, and we get to welcome Linda Miller, one of our counselors here. Linda, great to have you. Good to be here. All right. Um, well, you have got, uh, we like to bring you in for ones that, you know, might be a little bit tricky. <laughs> so <laughs> this week's uh, is a good one. Um, in fact, it was a longer question, and we kind of condensed it so that it might be applicable to some folks, but also the heart behind it, you know, I think you're going to be able to address. So our listener is asking, I was going to move out with some girls, but they all went behind my back and got an apartment together. They said that they felt called to move out and that they would talk to me later about getting a bigger place. Spiritualizing, I feel, the situation to make themselves feel better about hurting someone else. If I wasn't a strong believer, I would have walked away from the faith over this. How do I move on? Well, first of all, I want to say to the listener that I'm sorry that you felt betrayed by your friends. That hurt hits deep. And based on what you've shared, I'm really glad that you are not letting the actions of others determine whether you follow Christ or not, and that you're not allowing their actions to dictate your theology. People do disappoint us. As scripture reminds us, in this world, we will face disappointments and hurts, but it's how we respond to our circumstances that defines us. So here's my question. What does resilience look like for you? Resilience is not about surviving what the world has thrown to us. It's not denying the pain caused by the actions of others that deeply impact us. It's not even about when our friends spiritualize things by saying that God told me to, and then you fill in the blank. It is about learning and growing through adversity and difficult situations and circumstances. So here's another question. Can you get comfortable when situations are uncomfortable? Can you bounce forward? Can you adapt and change when difficulties come your way? Can you keep your balance? Can you remain flexible so that you can bend but not break? Can you stand strong in the midst of a storm mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And here's the tough one. Can you choose joy in this moment? You know, the alternative to joy is fear, and that's not a pretty picture. When we allow fear to fuel our brains, we live our lives fear mapping the world, kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. When we live out a place of joy, we simply have problems to solve. Our brain understands that problems are not the end of the world, and we will live with so much less anxiety. Joy helps us to endure hardships. Joy gives us the strength to deal with emotional pain that you've described. If you think that I'm suggesting that joy makes all the pain and difficulties disappear, you're not hearing what I'm saying. It doesn't make it go away. It doesn't mean that we get through difficult situations quickly. It doesn't mean that we will not grieve the loss That we've experienced. But it does mean that we can find joy in the midst of the yucky stuff that's thrown our way. It does mean that joy can help us through those crummy situations. We can find relational joy in the midst of hard times. We don't have to cut ourselves off from relationships and isolate. Joy makes us healthier people. Research proves it. Joy is like putting high-octane fuel in our brain, and it keeps things running well and very efficiently. 
So my encouragement would be to not let the actions of others define you, to really draw close to the Lord, to acknowledge and allow yourself to feel the pain, to take some time and really do some introspection. Ultimately, it's important to ask, what does the Lord want to say to me in this moment, in this season? And how can I move forward in a way that honors and reflects Him? Yeah, yeah, good point. And it is so hard sometimes to look at believers and assume like, oh, yeah, well, you know, they're the representation of Christ, so they better be, you know, they better yeah. better stand up and better, you know, not disappoint me and stuff. And the fact is, I remember my dad saying this for years, you know, don't judge Jesus by Christians. You know, Christians will always disappoint you, but Jesus never fails. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you encouraging her to rise above and to look beyond that. So, and maturity too, you know, mm-hmm. give it some years. I mean, young adults, <laughs> all of us, some of us not so young adults, um, struggle sometimes with hurting other people. And that's just where we are. So, thanks so much, Linda, for saying that. So, all right, folks. Uh, remember, we are hoping that you are sharing this show with your friends. So whether you listen on a podcast platform or whether you stream it at boundless.org, whatever you're doing, listening on the radio, um, I hope that you are telling your friends about The Boundless Show because really word of mouth and you telling them what's up is the best way to let them know about what we have to offer. So you could put it on social or you could tell your friends or you could do, you know, whatever you want, um, but definitely let them know about The Boundless Show so they can be part of this experience. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. It's Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like Him, talk like Him, walk like Him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.